This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 34 of the Catholic Foodie, Benedicimus Domine. Welcome to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I am Jeff Young, your host, and I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we've got some exciting things on the show today. We've, we're going to talk about St. Benedict, and, and we're not, it's not going to just be me uh, spouting off some kind of intellectual stuff or theological stuff. We have, we're so blessed to have Nick Padley here on the show today. Uh, you may recognize that name, Nick Padley. He is uh, part of the duo that produces In Between Sundays, the podcast, and also the website, InBetweenSundays.com. So uh, Nick Padley is, is with us, and we're going to talk about Benedict, St. Benedict. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, St. Benedict and food. We're going to talk about St. Benedict and wine, and we're also going to talk about St. Benedict and beer. Can you believe that? We're going to talk about beer on the show. Uh, Nick, by the way, happens to be a, uh, an avid home brewer, so uh, beer's on the menu. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, psalms and, and, and the blessing, uh, the concept of blessing. Also, look at the Eucharist as uh, as blessing the Lord. So we have all this and more on the menu today at The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. Benedicimus Domine. We bless you, O Lord. Uh, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise always on my lips. In the Lord my soul shall make its boast, the humble shall hear and be glad. Glorify the Lord with me, together let us praise his name. I sought the Lord and he answered me, from all my terrors he set me free. Look towards him and be radiant, let your faces not be abashed. The poor man, this poor man called. The Lord heard him and rescued him from all his distress. Amen. That is Psalm 34. God is the Savior of the just. And uh, why are we talking about that today? I will bless the Lord. Uh, well, we're going to be talking a bit about St. Benedict today. And uh, we have a very special guest with us. I'm, I'm very excited about this. I want to welcome uh, Nick Padley from InBetweenSundays.com. Welcome, Nick. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm doing very well, actually. How about you? I'm doing just great. Well, cool. Uh, you know, I met, you mentioned a while back on your show, uh, in between Sundays, that you had been in the monastery. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about, uh, about that? Sure. You know, you know uh, one of the things that I think everybody should do who's a young adult or, or in high school is to kind of think about what their vocation is in life. And, and I think that every man uh, should at least at one point in time or another give the priesthood a, at least a thought and take a look at it. Uh, there, there's Now, there's some people that they know real well that they're not called to be priests, but I think for the majority of people, it's something that, that if maybe they should take a quick look at it. And for most people, the answer will probably be no. But uh, in my case, I thought, well, let, I'm going to go out and try this and, and see. So after about a year and a half of some serious discernment and doing a, a monthly retreat with uh, this household of monks, uh, I decided to give it a try. And so I spent about nine months in the monastery there before I discerned that that was not where I was called. So I, uh, I came back home to Kansas City and um, just realized that I learned a lot when I was in the monastery about just how to live life and and uh, the, the value and virtue of work uh, and, and the value and virtue of uh, recreation too, which is something that, that monks definitely, they usually know how to do it pretty well. Right. Uh, you know, I, I spent uh, two years on the campus of a Benedictine monastery. I was in the seminary uh, studying for the Diocese of Baton Rouge, and it was a minor seminary. It was, uh, you know, just the, the college level, and I studied uh, philosophy and theology there uh, for two years. And that's actually where I finished up my degree, oh, cool. uh, and I was so impressed with the uh, with the Benedictines. And it's not for matter of fact, I live maybe fifteen minutes away from that monastery uh, today. So even after after uh, graduating and, and uh, living in New Orleans for a while, when when Char and I uh, were expecting our first child, we were thinking where where should we 
live. And uh, New Orleans is just, well, we were in uptown New Orleans. There wasn't a whole lot of room. There wasn't much of a, of a yard to speak of where we were. And uh, all the houses were on top of each other. We're saying, well, wh- where should we move? Let's, let's find someplace else to live. And we came across the, the lake to Covington, Louisiana. So we're 15 minutes away from this, uh, from where I went to, uh, to, to college with these, uh, the Benedictine monks. Very cool. So, uh, so actually being in the monastery, and this was a Benedictine monastery. So, uh, what, what can you tell us? I mean, what is the, the, the name? Do you know what the name Benedict means? Uh, I, I know in, in Latin, it, it's something like, um, well, bene is, is good, right? Coming from bonus. And mm-hmm. uh, dictus is uh, it's uh, like to speak or to tell. So the the best I could figure is that it means something literally, uh, good speaking or 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 saying good. Uh, do you think that's a good rough well, translation? Yeah, yeah well, you know you could almost say good teaching because he did come up with right? this rule for right. monks, which has survived the test of time from from the early four hundreds, and it's it's a rule that the monks still live and study. Uh, very obsessively today, and the reason why they're so obsessed with it is because it is the one thing that has survived over the ages that dictates really the the lifestyle and how they're supposed to live in the monastery itself. Right, and it set down, I think, a standard for for monks of that time, and really, ever since. Right, and and there's a number of things that the rule came from. You know, the the it's not like Saint Benedict just sat down and. In, in the course of a year or two, just smashed out this rule in a typewriter or something. There, there was a number of people. Uh, there's John Cashin, who was a, what's considered a desert father, who came before him. Uh, there's Evagrius, who was another one of those types of guys that came before him. And uh, so he had, what, what Benedict did and what was the unique piece that he did was he took all of these different rules and he kind of compiled it together into one thing and then added a bit of some pastoral applications and some some basically for lack of a better word some wiseness to the rule so that it could be something that could be easily lived there's another t- rule that came out at the same time or is at least historically seen being there about the same time called the rule of the master mm-hmm. the rule of the master um there's a number of different theories as to where it came from some people say that it was something that St. Benedict wrote in his early years. It's something that some people say it was a, a completely different thing, but that he, he copied a lot from to make his rule. Uh, and the rule of the master tends to be a little bit more strict about the way it treats some things than the way St. Benedict does in his own rule. So he's, he's got a lot of uh, certain ways he states things that uh, are a lot more like from a loving father than the rule of the master, which is, you know, A, B, and C. Right, right. Uh, that's that's uh, it's it's more human in a way, uh, is the way I heard it explained. Right, right. And, yeah, and, like um, I'm just if I turn to his prologue, I love the way his prologue starts, uh, and the prologue is the very beginning of the rule and of the first couple of lines. It says, uh, "Listen carefully to my son to the master's instruction and attend to them with the ear of your heart." This is advice from a father who loves you. Welcome it and faithfully put it into practice. The labor of obedience will bring you back to him from whom you had drifted through the sloth of disobedience. This message is mine for this message of mine is for you. Then, if you are ready to give up your own will once and for all, and armed with the strong and noble weapons of obedience to do battle for the true King Christ the Lord. Wow. That's, so it's I mean, it's it's cool because he's he's got some there's some firmness there, but at the same time. There's, there's a bit like just this fa- idea of fatherly instruction, mm-hmm. right? He comes across as a as a father, which mm-hmm. I mean, even today, the the abbot of the monastery is really the father, right? Yeah, that comes from uh, the Latin word abba, right? Which, uh, if I remember correctly, abba uh, it, it was a Latin, it was Latinized because um, you know, and 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 uh, Jesus, you know, in the Gospels, that's. In the language they spoke, it, Abba meant father, daddy, actually. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's beautiful how it all kind of fits together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's there's a lot of stuff when you really sit down and take a look at it. So um, uh, I'm looking over here on the uh, on the screen with the uh, UStream, and I see that uh, Mike 
uh, says Benedict means blessed, and and that reminds me that uh, you know Saint Benedict and the rule is such a blessing for the monks, and and not just the Benedictine monks, but all the monks in the world. But it reminds me of the whole uh, the, the whole concept of blessing, you know, um, going all the way back to the uh, the Old Testament and the Jews, uh, w- the way that they would view uh, God and worship of God. It was always this whole concept of of blessing. God mm-hmm. would bless the people, and then the people would bless God. Uh, matter of fact, and I, I, I'm kind of getting a little fuzzy here on on all the particulars, but. Um, uh, barakah was the word that meant blessing, and you see it lived out in the uh, in the in the Passover meal. I mean, the whole meal is a is a meal of blessing God who had blessed them so much, and we see that I think carry over too in our own in our own liturgy, our Passover meal in the Eucharist that we bless God. The Eucharist meaning Thanksgiving, we bless God who has blessed us so richly, and of course for us. The greatest blessing is is Jesus, uh, God made man, our Savior. That's it's a beautiful thing. The whole concept of blessing. Sure, sure, yeah. And and uh, Benedict has in his chapter or in his rule, he has uh, some writings on the porter of the monastery, and he's the guy who's in charge of uh, basically opening the door to any guests. And um, it's it's interesting kind of what he says with regards to blessing. He says, At the door of the monastery, place a sensible old man who know, knows how to take a message and deliver a reply and whose age keeps him from roaming about. And that's just kind of funny when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he, he then goes on to say, As soon as anyone knocks or a poor man calls out, he replies, Thanks be to God or your blessing, please. Then with all the gentleness that comes from the fear of God, he provides a prompt answer with the warmth of love. Wow. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's almost like a hallmark, isn't it, of of Benedictine spirituality? This this uh, idea of hospitality. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the the idea is that um, any guest that comes to the monastery should be received as if you're receiving Christ into your own home. Wow, that's uh, so. That's I know myself. Uh, we were always encouraged in the seminary to 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 see the same thing. And uh, actually, another Benedict, but not really, not a Benedictine, Father Benedict Rochelle. Uh, I remember uh, hearing a story that he told uh, about that. The same thing that if you're in prayer and someone comes to you and needs assistance, whether it's the poor or one of your brothers or uh, you know whomever it may be, that that's really the call of Christ, and and you mm-hmm. should you should get up from prayer. Don't don't uh, begrudge them. Uh, because they're disturbing you, but to to get up from prayer and to attend to them, because that's actually it's got more value, and it's what God is calling you to do at the moment. Absolutely, and uh, and, and it's it's wonderful. It sounds great, but I'm terrible at <laughs> at keeping that disposition. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and Saint Benedict really really lived that out in his life. Uh, there was a uh, there's a story I I have on this other book called The Life and Miracles of Saint Benedict, and that's uh, Paul Camerata talked about this book on his on his Saint Cast about Saint Benedict, and this book itself it was written by Pope Saint Gregory the Great, who was himself a Benedictine monk, and it's the only writing we have about the life of Benedict, and it has all sorts of little uh, quips and stories about what happened you know what happened during his life, and in fact there was a um, a point in time in in the life of the the monastery when Benedict was living there, where somebody came and they were they needed oil for a lamp or something like that, and what happened was that uh, the seller basically was told to go give this oil out, and he disagreed because the monastery itself was running out of oil, so he turned the guest away, and somehow or another Saint Benedict heard about it. And he uh, basically went down to the cellar and said, you know, where's the last vial of oil? And in obedience, the guy brings it out and, and St. Benedict uh, tosses it out the window, know, oh knowing that this is the, the, the only oil that they have in the monastery for quite a while before they can get a supply anymore. And uh, basically, kind of basically tells a guy to says, says, go back to your cell and just pray for a while. And what he does is he he kneels down and he prays in front of the uh, this cask of oil that is now empty, and he uh, prays prays over it for quite a while. 
And then it, the way it reads, it says, In the course of his prayer, the cask gradually filled with oil, and the lid started to float on top of it. The next moment, the oil was running down the sides of the cask and covering the floor. As soon as he was aware of this, Benedict ended his prayer, and the oil stopped flowing. Then turning to the monk who had shown himself disobedient and, and wanting in confidence, he urged him again to strive to grow in faith and hum humility. So it's almost like uh, you know he showed him by example how to live rather than just disciplining him. Right, and and it, it also, I think, that story highlights the fact that uh, blessing, uh, whether it's someone who comes uh, to the door, someone who's seeking oil, or uh, somebody who, and just any, anybody that you would need to be hospitable to or call to be hospitable to, that that hospitality, that, that blessing, oftentimes means sacrifice on the part of, of the blesser. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, I was thinking about that with... Uh, uh, with the Eucharist as well, that uh, here we are, it's a, it's a blessing. We're blessing God, but what are we offering to God ourselves as a, as a sacrifice? And of course, we're joining that with the sacrifice of Jesus. So blessing is a powerful thing uh, in our lives, but there's also a bit of sacrifice involved. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's so many different opportunities in, during Mass where we hear the word blessing. When you really think about it, you know, it's, it's almost like a, you could almost do that as a devotional aspect the next time you go to Mass. See how many times you hear the word blessed or blessing. Right, and, and uh, the, the, the power really of the Church's blessing, uh, even outside of Mass, with uh, uh, blessed objects, holy water. Uh, everywhere we turn, I think, as Catholics, we see blessings in action. And they, they help us to, uh, to live the Christian life. Absolutely. Well, uh, what about food? I know I've heard stories in the past about Bene Benedict with uh, with food. Can you uh, do you know any stories, or are there anything anything in that book that uh, that sure. deals with food? Well, of course, you know this is Catholic foodie, so uh, right. Um, Benedict uh, <laughs> Benedict certainly gave gives two. He has two chapters he devotes in his rule to food. Uh, he has one. It's chapter thirty nine of his rule on the proper amount of food, and there's chapter forty on the proper amount of drink. And uh, so he, he gives some real interesting spins on this. So he says, uh, for the daily meals, whether at noon or in mid-afternoon, it is enough, we believe, to provide all the tables with two kinds of cooked food because of individual weaknesses. And it's kind of interesting how he states that. In this way, the person who may not be able to eat one kind of food may partake of the other. Two kinds of cooked food, therefore, should suffice for the brothers. And if fruit or fresh vegetables are available, a third dish may be added. A generous pound of bread is enough for a day, whether for only one meal or for both dinner and supper. In the latter case, the cellarer will set aside one-third of this pound and give it to the brothers at supper. And then he goes on to say if there's a little bit more work than usual, then the abbot will have authority to grant some additional food as well. And he says, um, uh, lest a monk experience indigestion because then he doesn't right. want to overindulge. <laughs> he says, for nothing is so inconsistent with the life of any Christian as overindulgence. And I think that's sometimes true today. Our Lord says, take care that your hearts are not weighed down with overindulgence. And there he's quoting Luke chapter 30, 21, verse 34. Right. And I, I think, so, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, and, and then he, the final thing, which is something uh, very interesting that he mentions, is he says, uh, young boys, this is, this is back in the day when uh, families would... Uh, bequeath their sons to a monastery because they it's almost like your your job is to become a monk. Right. So young boys should not receive the same amount as their elders, but less, since in all matters of frugality is the rule. Let everyone except the sick who are very weak abstain entirely from eating the meat of four-footed animals. Wow. So interesting. Saint Benedict was probably not very much of a red meat guy. And that was like all the time. Yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a footnote in my book here where it says, although the ancient monastic tradition was unanimously opposed to the use of the meat of four-footed animals, there was some fluctuation on the subject of fish and fowl. St. Jerome was opposed to fowl. Um, and then he gives some other stuff that you can even go, go and take a look at if you really want to study that in depth. Wow. Goodness. So, and I think part of it came from the fact that meat was a bit more expensive those days, and, and keeping animals tends to be... Uh, more expensive from a farming perspective than it is to just be a be you know vegetarian or something like that. Right. I know. The, I know the monastery over here. They raised cows for a long time, and uh, they don't do any of that anymore. Uh, it's just uh, run the seminary that they have, and of course, 
that famous Abbey Ale that <laughs> that I've talked yeah, about yes. before. <laughs> they make a little money off of that too, but no more uh, no more livestock. Yeah, and, and so and then of course Saint Benedict goes on to talk about drink, and he starts it with a Bible quote, First Corinthians seven seven. Everyone has his own gift from God, one this and another that. And he says, it is therefore with some uneasiness that we specify the amount of food and drink for others. However, with due regard for the infirmities of the sick, we believe that half a bottle of wine a day is sufficient for each. Wow. (laughs) But those to whom God gives the strength to abstain must know that they will earn their own reward. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. And it's very individual. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Individualized, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and there's a number of areas in the rule where he kind of says, well, you shouldn't, but you can. And this is one of those chapters where he he talks about um, what the superior can determine. And I I just, I love the way he says things. So this is verse six of of that chapter. He says, we read that monks should not drink wine at all. But since the monks of our day cannot be convinced of this, let us at least agree to drink moderately and not to the point of excess, for wine makes even wise men go astray. Wow. That's... <laughs> so that's, it's uh, almost like he's saying, well, you, you twist my arm just a right, little Right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, I was going to say, uh, one of the things that, that we could mention is that uh, um, there's, a, there's a really great monastery called Christ in the Desert Monastery, and... Um, Actually, Steve Nelson on On the U, one of his recent episodes, he went out there and he did a, a little bit of sound seeing there. Um, and they did a, a, a five-show series, I think, two years ago on TLC called The Monastery. They, they had five guys. Their goal was to stay 40 days in this monastery. And they kind of uh, looked look to see what happened to them over the, over the span of the time. And it was real cool because uh, Abbot Philip, who's, the, I think he's still the abbot out there. I mean, they, 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 you know, TLC, because it's a media company, got like, you know, people who were super stressed or, or you know, just, just very, very crazy characters that they got. And it was very interesting to see how the monks interacted with these somewhat extreme people. And uh, Abbot Philip had this great saying one day, because it was one of the guys actually ended up leaving early because he uh, had a lot of, interior strife he was dealing with and Abbot Phillips remarks to that was that uh, the monastery itself is kind of like a pressure cooker mm-hmm. that uh, the the cenobitical life of the, of the of the monastic way causes someone to bloom kind of like putting a, a flower in a greenhouse where a flower in a greenhouse will bloom before its time and that's the goal of the monastery is to have somebody spiritually advance themselves much further within the context of monastic life than they would have on their own. That that's that's beautiful. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, I've I've heard it said before uh, as far as the monastery, but also the seminary. It can bring things out in you that that you didn't you weren't aware of. You know, sure, and they, sure. It and, be, and for those people like this guy that was struggling, uh, you know, it, it amplified all of his internal struggles. Right. And he was certainly not ready to deal with it at that particular point in time, which is why he ended up leaving. Right. It'll bring out whatever's inside, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that, uh, that's very interesting, a, a pressure cooker. Now, now let's go back uh, uh, just a bit uh, to Benedict and wine. We talked about uh, St. Benedict and, and what he had to say to his monks about wine. And uh, we may, after talking about that, we may also uh, spend just a little bit of time talking about St. Benedict and beer. Uh, Now, that is, if you don't mind, uh, Nick. (laughs) Mmm, beer. Refresh my memory. What was the uh, the quote? That last thing. Well, he basically he basically said that uh, monks shouldn't drink wine at all, but since the monks of our day cannot be convinced of this, uh, let's let's just agree to drink moderately. Right, right. So if they're going to do it anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's 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 just interesting how how Saint Benedict is truly a father in that particular point in time because I know there's a number of times where my dad has said you know like don't do that and I say well let's come on it'll be fun oh okay. Right, right. Well, uh, you know, since um, 
since he had those words to say on uh, wine, uh, it may be interesting for us to talk just a bit about uh, beer and beer really in the monastic tradition. I mean, we have, or there has been over time, uh, many abbeys, many monasteries that brewed beer. And even today, I think there's uh, the, the numbers have dwindled, but uh, someone in the beer industry, uh, microbrew industry, mentioned to me a few months back that uh, I think there are 11, only 11 monasteries in the world that are still brewing beer, like professionally oh, wow. and, and selling them. So 11 monasteries. Uh, I know that uh, from talking to you before that you, you like to uh, brew beer yourself. And mm-hmm. you're something of a beer aficionado, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I like to think of myself along those same lines as well. So, uh, what's your experience with uh, with beer? I mean, in particular, like maybe Abbey beer or, or or monastic beer. Any thoughts about the monastery and 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 beer history at all? Well, you know, uh, back in uh, there's always those stories you hear that in, in old time Europe, beer was was used because uh, the water was not as pure. And, and the only way to get water pure is, was by boiling it, of course, which is an essential part of the beer brewing process. And that's one of those things why I always tell people I think beer, I think beer is proof that God exists because if you really look at what, what has to be done in order to make beer, uh, you realize that it was, it's totally something that God planned out because in order to make beer, you have to take these grains and you steep them at a certain about 150 degrees in the water for a while. And then you have to purify that because if you don't, there's going to be some bacteria that gets in there. It's going to cause your beer to taste absolutely horrible. So what you have to do is you have to boil the water. And by boiling the water, you sterilize it. Everybody knows that that's what happens when you boil water. Well, you know, the hops are what cause the beer to have its, its bitterness and a certain uh, uh, fruity flavor, depending on the different types of hops you get. Well, in order to extract the o- essential oils that cause beer to be bitter from those hops, they have to reach a certain temperature. And that temperature happens to coincide with the boiling point of water. Um, you know, and, and when you really look at that particular fact, it's, it's like, okay, well, evolution couldn't have planned this. So I really think that when you look at that, and, and then of course you have to cool it down and, and, and bottle it, and then you can put you know put the yeast in there and this single cell organism that adds all sorts of really wonderful flavors to beer. But when you really think about when I really think about it, and the the fact that the the hops and the boiling temperature for extracting those oils are the same really makes me think. Okay, I'm pretty sure God planned this. It, it sounds like it to me. I'm I'm convinced of it. As a matter of fact, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so and so you know, back in the day, uh, beer and ales were one of the more popular ways for people to stay hydrated because the water was not very good. And of course, uh, monasteries were the uh, good ways that towns got started. What would happen was a monastery would move into a town, and it would need all sorts of sustenance and support because the monks couldn't do everything. So the, the monastery would then hire people of, from the town, and in return, the monastery would provide them with an income and, and other forms of sustenance. So it's, it's almost like a symbiotic relationship between the lay people of the town and the monastery. The monastery would feed them both spiritually and with some of their own um, products from the 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 uh, the fields and things like that, and the, and the people would would provide in return some labor to help keep those products going. So uh, it would just it seems natural to me that monks would start brewing beer as you know as a product to support people in the towns to stay hydrated and as well as uh, to give the monastery a certain amount of income so they can keep supporting monks and keep growing the, mon- the their ministry. That's a it's a beautiful uh, relationship. Uh, symbiotic, I guess, is the the term that you just use. It's wonderful. Uh, you know, was that funny? <laughs> I think it's I, I, it's just it's cool when you really think about it. I think it, yeah, it, it is. And I mean, I I kind of I wasn't joking when I said I thought that uh, I mean God definitely had a hand to play in uh, brewing beer. And the church, matter of fact, the church even has a blessing for beer, and uh, it was part of the the official uh, book of blessings. And I'm going. I actually have a copy right here, and I, I don't want to jump ahead or skip ahead. But you know, we talked about this earlier, and we've actually brought beers uh, to, to to sample. Uh-huh. So uh, I think it would be appropriate, maybe at this time, since we're on the topic of beer, to to go ahead and, and uh, crack them open. Uh, but before that, do you think that uh, we should say this blessing 
I think that would be great. Now, here's the question. I've got it in Latin and English. What you think I should do uh, uh, both or just one or, or what? What would you want to do? I'll tell you, why don't you say it in English? And if anybody wants to see the original Latin, you could post it up along with the show notes. Very cool. We'll do that. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Sorry, this is the fun bee. The humdrum bee is back there. Well, before we actually say the blessing, uh, perhaps we should go ahead and pop the caps and uh, and let the, the creature out of the bottle. Okay, sounds good to me. All right, hold on. Why don't you tell us what you have? Okay. Well, I have this. I have a beer that uh, I went shopping yesterday because I we had talked about doing the show together. And so I went out to one of our, our local beer uh, distributor companies that has all sorts of very esoteric beers. And I, I spent uh, about 30 minutes wandering the aisles. And when I actually had a guy who had driven all the way up from Wichita, Kansas, to recommend this beer to me. So this is a beer uh, called Petrus. And it's called Special Ale. And it's S-P-E-C-I-A-L-E. So Special ale and it is a belgian beer and i believe i don't know if it's brewed by a monastery i didn't get a chance to look that up but um i can read the description on the back here that'd be great it says a petra special is an amber colored top fermented ale this ale's characteristic aroma is the result of the specially selected malt and hop varieties and it is brewed according to an age-old recipe so there we go that sounds delicious uh, it sure does. The one, and uh, the one that I, I wish I could have found that one, I couldn't. So I got another one that's a, a monastic ale. This one is called uh, Grimbergen. I guess that's how you would pronounce it. It is also a Belgian ale. And let's see, where is it made? Uh, well, it's the Abbey of Grimbergen. And it's a, it's a double. It's an Abbey double ale. Also known as a double, I believe, pronounced as a double in uh, in German. Let me see. It's hard for me to actually read this uh, this label. Uh, the Grimbergen Abbey Ale. I don't know if I can read it. My microphone's in the way. I think it says it's just good. <laughs> <laughs> God, I, th- awesome. I think that's what it I says. Also, I think it's. It, I should it, also it, mention that on the uh, on the label here. On the Petrus label, there's a picture of St. Peter. He looks like Santa Claus because he's about, he's about that heavy uh-huh. set. And he's got a beer in one hand and a key in the other. And, of course, that's indicative of, Peter, of Jesus giving Peter the keys to the kingdom. Right. And it sounds like, it, it looks like, I guess, with that, that image, uh, he also gave him beer. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> the whole idea of, uh, of, of God having a, a hand to play in the, in the beer. And you know what's funny, too? Uh, you, I, you sent that picture uh, online. You took a picture of the label and sent it over here. And I noticed that the, uh, the beer is in his right hand. And I think that's funny because when a priest gives a blessing, he's, he uses the right hand. So uh, maybe St. Peter is blessing us with beer. I think so. All right, I'm going to crack mine open here. This one is actually, it's recommended that it is served in a, uh, in a chalice or a goblet. And I don't really have a chalice here, but I do have a, a wine goblet, so I'm going to use that. I don't know if you could hear that, that beautiful sound of a bottle being opened. Yeah, I'll see if I can get mine cracked right in front of the microphone here. There we go. Very nice. All right, let me see this prayer here. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Bless, us, o Lord, or bless, O Lord, this creature beer, that thou hast been pleased to bring forth from the sweetness of the grain, that it might be a salutary remedy for the human race, 
and grant by the invocation of thy holy name that whosoever drinks of it may obtain health of body and a sure safeguard for the soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. That's a great prayer. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's, it's a salutary remedy for the human race. Which, <laughs> great. which means that after a hard day's work, <laughs> it's nice to have a beer. Well, cheers. Cheers to you. So give this thing a try. Mm, wow. That's great. Well, how's yours? It's wonderful. It is wonderful. Yeah, mine's mine's definitely it's it's got the taste of an amber. It's got a uh, it's it's a, a fairly mild bitterness and it actually has uh some really good malty flavor to it. I'm just overwhelmed by the one that I'm drinking. <laughs> um yeah. it, it's very nice. It has a it's got nice lacing. That's one thing. I don't know if the U streamers can actually see that. Uh, it's it's kind of crawling down the uh, the glass there on the sides. Uh, it's definitely amber to uh, amber in color. Uh, I see some uh, almost uh, uh, like undertones of red there. Uh, really pretty color, and uh, it almost looks like red uh, a light red wine in, in the wine glass. Um, the taste is very uh, oh yeah. It's it's very smooth. Uh, the carbonation is not like overly well, carbonated know, at all. Well, you know, a, a double, Abbey doubles and, and triples always have such a really distinct taste to them, uh, and I I love I love the 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 flavor of them as as well. It's it's gonna it's it's like um, kind of sweet, but but not like overly sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a faint fruity, kind of a not not strong. But a, like a faint uh, kind of a fruity uh, uh, taste. Now I just looked up on uh, beeradvocate.com and I see that uh, this one, the Grimbergen, is rated a B plus. It's had 327 reviews, rated a B plus, which is very good on Beer Advocate to, to have that grade. Mm-hmm. Well, let me see where I can find mine real quick. I can tell you what this is. Oh. I must have to have a login. I'm I'm logged in at Beer Advocate, and I can. Uh, it, yours was the the Petrus Special Ale. <clears throat> yeah. Now this one they didn't give as high of a of a rating to it. I'm surprised. It's uh, oh, yeah. got 35 percent on the uh, on this particular uh, beer. I I like it. It says uh, it's got a, a B minus on Beer Advocate, but there's only been 15 reviews, which is which is interesting. That there's so few. Now there's a there's two here. Let me see this. Yeah, it was the the ale. Only 15. Wow. So what would you rate it? Would you rate it a B minus? Yeah, I give it I give it about a B minus or so. That really? sounds pretty good. Cool. They uh Yeah, there's it's uh, I'm just reading through some of these reviews. Somebody mentioned it has some dough flavor to it, which uh, definitely does. And uh yeah, a little bit of a musty flavor and some yeasty flavors as well. Yeah, the the Grimbergen, uh Once again, I see that uh, burgundy. That's the word I was looking for. Burgundy color. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. And the the head was it was frothy, but I don't know if people on Ustream could probably see it. The head, it really uh, disappeared pretty quickly. It's just a, a faint uh, uh, covering there now over the beer, and it's not like a uh, not like a Guinness or anything. You know, it's got that really. Uh, long-lasting head to it. Let's see, what else is it? It says uh, kind of nutty, some nutty to- uh, notes, and, and a bit fruity as well, which I, I kind of picked up on earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone says that it's very sweet. I, I, I guess in the aftertaste, it is sweeter than I, I, I first tasted. But it's it's good. It's good. Well, cool. Well, we've got some good beers to drink. And uh, is there anything else that you would like to say about beer and and monasticism? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I picked up. Uh, you know, I was listening, going through some of the older episodes because I'm still working my way through some of the uh, the, the the previous episodes you did. And I listened to the, your episode uh, where you in, interviewed the guy who runs a beat of beer, mm-hmm. and you talked right. about Turbo Dog. Right. And I happened to find that yesterday in town, and I had one of those last night, and it is a fantastic beer. Uh, it was a great recommendation, and I was really excited to find them and 
in town and and to uh, to pick up a couple bottles. That's uh, yeah, I know. It, it, the Abita's uh, beer is available in about forty states, I believe. So uh, more and more, when I talk to people around the country, they're they're able to find it. Somehow, I recommend it. I, I think they're all uh, good beers. Uh, the Giacomo is one that I really like a lot, and uh, I mean the Amber is what I grew up on, basically not. Not as a child, but uh, just uh, you know, since it since it came out, uh, when I was when I would go buy beer, it would typically be the the amber. Uh, but I, I really like the Giacomo now over the amber. Uh, the Turbo Dog is a really good beer, and it's not. I mean, surprisingly, it's it's a, it's kind of like a uh, kind of like a stout, but it, it's not that heavy. I didn't find it to be that uh, that heavy. Did you? No, I didn't. Uh, um, and you mentioned it was more like a chocolate stout, and that uh, that did seem to me to be kind of where where the flavors went. Um, but yeah, it is. A, I I really like I I like a lot of dark beers more than I like the lighter beers. So, right, right. Um, I I I was really impressed with it. Now, Beer Advocate, it's rated as a B plus by uh, you know the 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 bros, um, and is rated overall as a B. Uh, it's got 611 reviews, and it is called. Let me see what it says. Well, that, it's an English brown ale. That's the style. 5.6 percent alcohol by volume. Oh, very so good. So it's a little stronger than, uh, you know, your your typical beers, the, like the ones that Mac drinks. Uh, it's a little bit stronger than than those. <laughs> just just slightly. <laughs> and it also doesn't. Have, it also doesn't have fruit in it. Right, there's no fruit. You're right. You're right. But it's an interesting name, Turbo Dog. I should have asked him when I was there uh, talking to the the president of Abita. Why did y'all name this thing Turbo Dog? What's the significance? You know, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was a very interesting to hear that interview. So, but the Abbey Ale still still is uh, is one of my favorites. It's um, and, and you're doing good things too when you when you buy it. It supports the Abbey. Mm-hmm. Is it only just the Abbey Ale, or is it is it all of their beers together? Uh, the Abbey Ale is what is uh, that that's the one that uh, they give. Abita gives money off of every bottle of Abbey Ale that it sells to the Abbey, uh, and okay. that's the only one that they do that with. Now, there's another one called Restoration Ale, and they made that one. They started to, to brew it right after Katrina. And every uh, every bottle they sell of Restoration Ale, some of that money goes to uh, the relief efforts from Hurricane Katrina, so in New Orleans. So it's great for for a company to do that kind of stuff, you know, to try to help the uh, the community. Absolutely. So well, cool. Well, you, I think you mentioned earlier that uh, Paul Camerata had a an episode on Saint Benedict. I think that was the the most recent episode, wasn't it? I think so. I think uh, it was it was either this one, or the most recent one, or I think it may have been the last one. But uh, um, yeah, I, I can. Uh, I'll send you the link so you can put that in the show notes because you did a really good job talking about the life of Saint Benedict. Right. I loved it. I loved that episode. Uh, I did listen to it already. I have it. I, I'm sus- subscribed to the Saint Cast on iTunes. So uh, as soon as that one came out, I saw that it was Saint Benedict. I said, "Well, that's moving up in my queue." <laughs> And uh, he did tell a few stories, and we haven't talked about this yet. He did tell a few stories, though, about Benedict's life uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that um, uh, feature food. And one of them is the story of, like, the blessing before meals. You know which one I'm talking about? Yes. Um, which, which saved his life. Do you know? Uh, you want to share that one with us? Well, there, there's two in particular that I know about. There's, there's the one with, involving the raven and the one involving a poison glass of wine. And what happened is that uh, you know, St. Benedict was known for being very holy. And so there was a group of monks. And there, there's, there's different types of monks that, that, that he mentions in his rule. There's the cenobitical ones, which is the word that I used earlier, which refers to generic monks. And let me see if I, if I can grab this real quick. Because um, it is very, it's real, it's very interesting the way he he describes the different types of monks. Here we go. This is it's actually just his first chapter, chapter one. He says there's four different types of types of monks. There's the cenobites, which are those who belong to monastery and they live live under a rule and an abbot. Then there's the hermits, uh, which live by themselves. And then there's what he calls the cerebites, and he goes on to say that they are the most detestable kind of monks. 
with no experience to guide them, no rule to try them as gold is tried in the furnace. And then, uh, and, and you think that's, those are bad enough, but then he mentions these, this fourth type of monk called gyrovags, who spend their entire lives drifting from region to region. And so whereas previously for the, uh, for the Cerebites, he mentions that they're detestable. For the gyrovags, he, he actually says it is better to keep silent than to speak of all these and their disgraceful way of life. So this t- kind of makes me think, I think he actually ended up meeting some people who lived in this particular style of monasticism back in the day, and they had invited him to come and comment on basically how he how they were living, and he had told them, you know, it's it's not going to work. You, you guys aren't going to like what I have to say because I think he knew what was going on there, and but they said, oh, oh, you know, we we can handle we can handle constructive criticism. So come on over and, and tell us. So he ended up going over and he mentioned. He he looked at it and he basically told them what he thought of them, which was not a very favorable recommendation. And they decided to get back at him. So they sent him a goblet of wine or a bottle of wine that was poisoned. So he went to you know pour the wine into his glass and to drink it. And he said he said the blessing of over the over the food. And as he did that, the glass itself cracked in half and spilled the wine out so he wouldn't be poisoned. So it shows that you should always say grace before anything you eat. Wow. That's uh, that, that's one of the stories, actually, that I heard when I first uh, learned, I think, in, in Catholic school about uh, prayers before uh, meals, a blessing before meals. Uh, and it's funny because I think it was only after I started going, I think, in fifth grade, uh, to Catholic schools that we started to pray a blessing at our at our house. It wasn't something I learned at home. It was something I learned at school. Right, right. Now, now there's another story, and this is a, I can read this directly from the uh, from the the writings of Pope Saint Gregory the Great. He says that at a mealtime, a raven used to come out of the nearby woods to receive food from the saint's hands. On this occasion, he set a, a poison loaf in front of it, and this was another group of monks that he had done a similar story to, and they sent them this poison loaf of bread. Says, uh, so he says, uh, on, the, on the occasion he put the loaf in front of the bread and said, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, take this bread and carry it to a place where no one will be able to find it. The raven started to caw and circled around the loaf of bread with open beak and flapping wings as if to indicate that it was willing to obey but found it impossible to do so. Several times the saint repeated the command, and after hesitating for a long while, the raven finally took, out, took the loaf in its beak and flew away. About three hours later, when it had disposed of the bread, it returned and received its usual meal from the hands of the man of God. Wow. And is, is that why he was, uh, or is pictured typically with a raven? Absolutely. So I, I think I just gave everyone the answer for the Saint Jeopardy of the Ooh, Week. Ooh, I guess I shouldn't have asked that question, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but that, hopefully, hopefully they've all, everybody sent in their comments at this point. Oh my goodness, I didn't, I never realized that. That's really cool. Yeah, so that so there's a uh, so yeah he's usually depicted as as uh, with a raven and of course Benedictine College up in here in Atchison Kansas is uh, their their mascot is the Benedictine ravens. Oh, cool! So wow. usually when you see an icon of Saint Benedict, he's depicted with two different things: and one with a raven and one with a cup with a snake coming out of it. So that's uh, that's where that comes from with the the, the cup that was broken because it was poisoned. That is really awesome. I didn't. I did not know that. I mean, I I, I figured the the snake and the uh and the cup, but I didn't know about the raven. And you yeah. know, I, I have the uh, the Benedictine medal. You, you, a lot of people. I know. I know they were really popular for a while. Uh, a crucifix, a Benedictine cross or crucifix, which has the metal embedded into the the cross itself with the corpus on top, and uh, you have all the the Latin words and abbreviations. That uh, it's basically an exorcism prayer. Correct. Yeah, uh, Saint Benedict uh, was known for uh, basically combating the devil in a number of different ways. Uh, one of my favorite stories is that when they were building the Abbey of Monte Cassino, which is the the big abbey that Saint Benedict started, they the monks were trying to lift one of the rocks to put it in place, and they couldn't lift it. It was heavier than any rock they had ever tried to lift. And they were confounded by this because it was the size of every other rock that they were putting in, uh, in the in the place. And you know, so, so along comes Saint Benedict walking down, and and they look at him and they say, you know, dear Abbot, 
why can't we lift this rock? It's, uh, can you help us out here? And he looked at him and he was kind of dumbfounded. He said, well, don't you see the devil is sitting on top of that rock right there? And they said, no, we don't see him. Well, St. Benedict obviously did and uh, said some prayers. And the devil flew away in the form of a, a bat or something like that. And then they were able to lift the rock as if it was a feather and put it, put it into place. Oh wow, that's that's like that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. So, but there's a number of uh, of things, and so like uh, one thing the Benedictine monks are known for, and and, and Saint Benedict is known for, is for combating the, the different you know spirits of evil of the day. And so, my, I had a spiritual director at one point in time who was a Benedictine monk, and um, uh, we we did a lot of talking about that uh, because that's one of the things that is is a kind of a hallmark of Benedictine life. So because uh, as, as a monk, you know, the devil doesn't want the monks to, to be around anymore because they're doing all sorts of really good things. And there's, there's all sorts of stories in history that have been told about the saints and, and things. Uh, you know, St. John Vianney, who, of course, uh, is now the patron saint of all priests in the world, not just parish priests anymore due right. to the year of the priest and, and the pope's decree. He was at one point told because he he listened to people's confessions and was able to read their hearts and help them make a good confession. He at one point was told by the devil that if there were three priests like him, that the entire kingdom of of Satan would be ruined. Wow! So that's uh, that's quite the compliment, I, I would think. Well, it's amazing too when you think about it, because uh, you know there are stories as well of um, uh, of a of a hermit out in the in the woods. Uh, in a little hermitage, and you look at the town that's that's right there by him, and and I can't remember how the the whole story goes, but basically all the demons were at that at that hermitage. You know, there was no demon in the city; they were all there at the hermitage uh, because that's the one guy they hadn't gotten. You know, everybody else, you know, they don't the devils wouldn't they didn't have to tempt them, <laughs> you know, but the sure. uh, the hermit out there who was dedicated to God, they'd have to. Uh, that's the one they had to work on. <laughs> yeah, well, and and of course, my one of my favorite prayers with regards to all that is the Saint Michael the Archangel prayer. Right, that's beautiful. I mean, it's it's a it's a powerful prayer, and uh, sometimes it can be kind of unnerving, you know, because you're we don't tend to we don't want to acknowledge the uh, uh, the real personal evil in the world. Sometimes it makes us un, uncomfortable. Uh, but in reality, that's the life that we're living. I mean, we, we're in a battle, you know, and to have people like St. Michael and uh, St. Benedict on your side, it makes me feel a lot better. Absolutely. Yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're definitely, we're called the church militant, and we're, we're called to uh, live our lives, you know, for Christ and, and live it kind of at the ready for battle whenever we need it. And that's uh, that that's well. It, it is it's true too that uh, we're always in battle, whether we like it or not. So, I'm just very happy that they are in the hospital. I mean, in the hospital. Oh my goodness! <laughs> not the hospital. Well, they could I be just, in the hospital. I guess. I just got a message, and uh, that kind of distracted me there. But um, yeah, we're always in that battle, whether we like it or not. Now, uh, while I'm on this topic, uh, I would like to ask people to pray for someone uh, special. Uh, I'm not going to reveal a name, but there is somebody who is very ill, who is a good friend of the Catholic foodie, and I, I do want to ask uh, everyone out there to please say a prayer. As a matter of fact, I have a prayer that I might pray right now. This is a spur of the moment, by the way. I did not, uh, I did not uh, plan this. <laughs> But I just got a little text message, and uh, it reminded me that, uh, that I really do need to ask everybody to pray. So let me see if I can find this prayer. Okay. Uh, this particular person that I, I would ask you to pray for is, has a special devotion to uh, the servant of God, Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And so there is a prayer uh, to obtain a favor from him through, uh, through his intercession, rather. And I want to pray that right now for this particular person. And maybe uh, at a different time I could let you know who it is, but right now um, I'm going to keep that to myself. So, Eternal Father, you alone grant us every blessing in heaven and on earth through the redemptive mission of your divine Son, Jesus Christ, and by the working of the Holy Spirit. If it be according to your will, glorify your servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, by granting the favor I now request through his prayerful intercession. 
and uh, just for the healing um, of this friend of mine. And I make this prayer confidently through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Okay. Well, um, St. Saint Benedict is a powerful, uh, powerful intercessor. Saint, he's he's uh, strong against the, the enemy. Uh, he is a, uh, a devoted and attentive and, and caring father uh, to all monks. Uh, what else have we learned about St. Benedict today? Well, we've learned that um, he he is a good reason why you should always say grace ahead of time. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we've we've learned about the four different types of monks. We talked real briefly about them, and uh, we learned about about his medal. And, and there's uh, that that he's a he's a definitely definitely a good advocate to you in, in times of temptation and in times of of need. That's right. And, you know, we, we can only say so much, but the, the professional, the saint's professional, is uh, Paul Camerata. And uh, as we mentioned, you know, he just had an episode out, uh, I guess, about a week or so ago on St. Benedict. And you can find that, if you haven't uh, heard it yet, you can find that at saintcast. I think it's org. Is that right? Yes, saintcast.org. Saintcast.org. Or on sqpn.com. Right, sqpn.com as well. Uh, Paul Camerata, Saintcast, if you haven't listened to it, please do. Please go check it out. It's wonderful. I, I teach uh, confirmation in my parish. I, I prepare about 90 or so uh, students every year, high school students, to receive the Sacrament of Confirmation. And one of the websites I send them to and highly recommend is the Saintcast because what do they have to do when they, uh, they're uh, preparing to be confirmed? They have to pick a saint name or a patron saint. And so uh, what better place to go to find out more about the saints than the saint cast? Well, Nick, I want to thank you so much for being here with us today. It's been a, a, a complete uh, joy to have you here. It's been a real treat. Well, thank you so much for Jeff uh, for for having me on, Jeff. It's uh, it's it's been really fun. I've had a, we've had some really great discussions. I think so. I think it's uh, it's, it's just really good when you can uh, uh, get to know people. You know, I mean, here we are. I'd never met you before until actually I met you at the CNMC briefly in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never, didn't really get a chance to sit down with you and, and talk too much, but now it's it's been great. I know, I know. And uh, you know, I love your show. Uh, anybody out there, if you haven't heard In Between Sundays, uh, you need to go to InBetweenSundays.com. You can also find it on iTunes. And uh, fantastic podcast, fantastic show. You and you and Pat do a great job. Oh, thank you so much. And I will definitely have to remind you from time to time about episode thirteen. <laughs> Oh yes, that's. I think that's going to be a great running joke. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I, you know, having you here today with me, uh, would would you? I mean, I'm starting to wonder if it's just not you. I mean, something surrounding you because I completely forgot to start recording the UStream uh, feed until about oh, no. I don't know twenty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! So it's like we got a we got a little bit of UStream that that'll be on there, but uh, nothing. I mean, everything. Thank God, everything was recorded, like the audio. But uh, we're we're missing some of the uh, <laughs> some of the UStream. So uh, I don't know. We we might need to, to do a Saint Benedict uh, exorcism for you, you know, and the the audio thing. No, no kidding. <laughs> I I think Pat and I just need to record uh, episode fourteen in as much haste as we can because uh, Catholic in a small town who was on right before us they they forgot to click record on their UStream as well. Oh my god! So. It's, I, episode thirteen is is having all sorts of ramifications. <laughs> well, I I know I uh, I, I kind of had to come in. We were we slept late this morning and and uh, we had to go to mass and then we got stuck talking to people after mass and uh, I got home late and so I'm trying to scramble to get ready and get set up and I got I guess I got everything set up except for uh, recording the UStream. <laughs> 
Oh, well, we, we just all have to say special prayers this week that uh, we can get our act together for next week. That's, that's right. Well, well, we'll be recording episode 14, God willing, on Wednesday evening. So hopefully after Wednesday night, everyone's problems will go away. That's right. And what we'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes to um, uh, inbetweensundays.com. And uh, you guys, please come over and go to Ustream on, on Wednesday, and we could all have fun watching uh, the success of Nick and Pat as they uh, record episode 14. Absolutely. So, And if you want to send feedback to the Catholic Foodie, you can do so in one of two ways. You can give me a call at 985-635-4974, or you can send me an email at catholicfoodie at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can go to the website, catholicfoodie.com, and there is a recipe submit button, or a submit recipe button, <laughs> and you can uh, submit one of your very own recipes, and it'll be posted there on the website with your name on it, coming from you. And uh, that's exciting. I get lots of people every day who come to the website just to see the recipes. So uh, please do check that out. Go to catholicfoodie.com and give me something good. So thank you again, Nick, for joining us. And uh, I look forward to episode 14 of In Between Sundays. And until next time, bon appetit.